Welcome to the Incrimination Podcast. No, I just kidding. This is the Public Access Podcast. My name is Rusty. I'm your host. Um, so today, 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 tonight, tomorrow, something, I don't know. Um, you're going to get that. So that's that's worth most of everything. So if you guys get a, if you're getting the video, there you go. Um, so I've known this guy since 19... 88 80 let's say 1988 so that's like you know six seven years i think i've, I've known this guy but uh this guy he introduced me to all kinds of of stuff that i never thought was you know it just fucking blew my mind he uh introduced me to the discordian way of life and that that was that was a, like just opened up so much more stuff as well as i mean this guy he's been cool like i've i've been friends with him since yeah fucking kindergarten or first grade so um yeah man uh and so and i'll i'll save the rest for for a little bit to get you into what kind of other other things so uh without uh, I don't. I keep saying without further ado, here's Ian. But this yeah. is this is my buddy Ian, man. So hell yeah, man. Fucking, how you doing? I'm great. You're great, man. Uh, yeah. No, that's 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 right, Ben. We've known each other. I was thinking about that before talking today, but yeah, like first grade, your Miss Sala's class. Yeah, dude. I I wonder if she's still. I don't know if she's still alive or anything. She's probably pretty old. If yeah. uh, I, uh, I, I hope she's doing good. I hope so too. So I mean, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, like 1988 probably. So that was mm -hmm. uh, thir 34 wow. years ago. So yeah, hopefully she's doing awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. That's fucking crazy. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know, we yeah. we both transferred to Stafford in third grade, right, from Sunset. Right. And when that happened, like, I guess there was a teacher there. I didn't have her. Um, I can't remember her name at the moment. But when we came back from Japan a few years ago, my daughter uh, went into Stafford and her first grade teacher was that lady that was like there when I was there. So, whoa, yeah, it was kind of, you know, people's careers can span longer than generations. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was a, a music teacher at Sunset and my dad had her as a music teacher. And uh, your name? Uh, Miss Clap. That's right. I was gonna say it wasn't Miss Clap, was it? Yeah, Miss Clap, man. She she uh, was a teacher for my dad. Miss Clap, dude, like such a good name for a music teacher. You know, you can't really, you can't beat that. It's it's yeah, pretty amazing. I mean, there's yeah, there's probably some uh, that are maybe better, but I mean, you're not, I don't know. When you're a kindergarten through second grade, that's pretty good. It's like yeah, music teacher, you know, Miss Clap. It all, you remember, sense, right? it all connected together. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, that's how, uh, how it is. I don't, I don't know if I want to call this guy out, but do you remember a guy? We had a substitute teacher named Mr. Lipscomb. And I always yeah. I remember that with the, uh, uh, I hit, what was it like that? It was, uh, he'd do like the mouth and then the, the comb back or something uh, to remember his name. I remember his name fucking 30 years later or whatever. Yeah, he had, he had like a gimmick. There was a and bunch of funny, yeah, the, the, the sub, music subs are weird. There was like, I don't know. Yeah, some guy with a jar of candy and like a bunch of different things. 
Maybe that was Mr. Lipscomb. Who knows? Yeah, it might have been. And then there was a guy that always had a guitar, and he he loved playing that, Pearl Jam. That was that was. Oh. I don't. I don't think that was Mr. I Lipscomb. Was I think this was a different guy. It might have yeah. been the candy guy. So. I mean, so yeah. So if you were a candy passing out teacher, <laughs> uh, substitute teacher back in the '80s and '90s, uh, we're giving you a shout out now. So. I hope you enjoy that. I hope they're probably listening. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's fucking crazy. That's how how long it's been. And like, we didn't. And then also, know, like, because I mean, fourth and fifth grade, there was Mr. Hart. And we, we were, were in that class together. together. We were in the blend. Yeah, the blend class where, yeah, we got to do the. I feel like we did the same stuff twice. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, exactly. We, we, it was like a weird. They didn't handle it right. We did like the you know, build up to the American Revolution two times. Yeah, we definitely got to learn about uh, Lewis and Clark and uh, a whole bunch. And yeah, it was, was, yeah. And do a lot of art. Did a whole bunch of art in that class. No, it was great. It was awesome. So yeah. Have you, have you seen him recently? I saw him. Where did I see him? I want to say I saw him maybe the year before i saw you in lake oswego at the art festival i think i saw him there and uh yeah still remembered me which was cool he was always a a pretty cool guy and i mean that had been quite a number of years later but yeah for sure yeah so you still see him then is he over at stafford Uh, i ran into him somewhere and then we ended up um I don't know. I don't remember the order, but I think uh, he's, you know, he's like uh, the, he was the art teacher, is the art teacher at uh, Wilsonville High School. Oh, and that's right. So, okay. And he's also the like head, the coach of the robotics team. And Wilsonville has like a super powerful robotics team. They're like, I think they're like, they were ranked top in the nation or something like close to that for a while. And Holy so shit. we went and watched their competition there at Wilsonville, like me and the kids, like a couple few years ago. It was intense. Whoa. Like they had all these teams from like all over there and they had like all their, you know, they came in with all their robotics equipment. They all have these giant sponsors and stuff. And like all these big companies are giving them like all these crazy parts to like build the robots with. And like the robots people are building are like pretty intense. Like, I mean, it's kind of this, uh, um, hold on one second. Yeah, no. So, I mean, what was he doing? Like, uh, that's crazy. Like I, I wouldn't have ever, but I mean, if he was doing arts and there was a lot of sculpture and stuff, uh, I am, you you always were and still are a much better artist than, than I. Uh, I'm I mean, not trying to paint or doing anything. I'm just you know, I look at random stuff and I'm like, oh, I like that one. So I mean, art is just for me. You know, for lack of motor skills, it's kind of like you know, what can you fall back on? You just claim that you know what style is, and you just like you just keep choosing things, and you're like, yeah, I've got good taste. <laughs> And it, I don't know. I mean, yeah, art's subjective, and art is uh, art is what it is. So, I mean, well, maybe my. I mean, if you yeah. figure that my subjectivity maybe isn't that unique or special, that probably anything I like, probably other people are gonna like as much. Like, I just figure if I think something's really cool, I'm probably just have like a general, like there's. I'm just kind of like a average among the sea of other people sitting near me on the fractal. So, that they're just gonna have similar preferences in some way. So I could just move forward, assuming that. Uh, you know, anything that I think is cool, it's basically going to be well accepted. Yeah, and among, I mean, among other freaks. 
yeah i mean well you know we we live in a freak world and you know some people need to em embrace their freak some people embrace it a different way some people reject it but you know uh you know we're all freaks in some way so totally. just just go with it just go with it enjoy it what and I mean, so like yeah that i mean things that i mean obviously like not everything that we're into is like gonna have mainstream appeal but like even if it doesn't there's still a lot of people in the world there's a lot of people in the world and I, yeah i mean whatever eight billion i mean there's gonna be there's gonna be someone who likes the same kind of stuff no matter how fucking out there it is you know you're gonna have your audience and your audience is gonna go to you even if it's not totally mainstream or whatever yeah i had a i had a japanese buddy and like i remember he was he was all depressed because you know he was into like he wanted he's into bad smells like that's his that's his fetish he likes bad smells okay. and he was like terrified that he would never find anybody that would accept him and then he did now he's married and everything's cool and i'm like cool i'm glad you found somebody that's like i mean he was just open about it i'm like that's great it worked so out. the, Thank the you, person Andrew. he he found was oh so did he like search this out or did it just happen to be no i'm sure he's uh see i don't know i don't know and I actually i can't maybe i'm getting the story wrong i don't want to say that maybe he just like you know maybe that's still something that's being hidden from his significant other but i think he did find some people on the internet that were like down with it and he felt a massive sense of relief to know that he's he can among be others yeah 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 that's that's fucking cool and so he can yeah enjoy enjoy what he enjoys and just as everyone else everyone else can enjoy what they enjoy and if you and think you like it's kind of a hard thing to find if you didn't have the internet, you know, it's like, cause it's like kind of a hard thing to bring up, like even with friends and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, I, I probably wouldn't if it was my thing, it's not, but you know, if it was, I mean, again, I, I feel like I'm being yeah. critical of them, but I'm not, I'm just saying like, there's things in our society that like, aren't easy to always mention. Like, and so if you were like, you know, typically it's like, if you've got kind of like generic vanilla interest in things, like it's pretty easy to, you know, kind of look around and like, see who's, it's like, oh, you like football? I like football. Like everybody likes football. It's like rad. But you know, yeah. if, if your thing's the smell is like it's like you can't really like put a bumper sticker on the back of your car or like a, a tire cover that like, you know, like you can for like the Patriots. Uh, I mean, maybe you, you could. Can. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. I see this is revolution of stickers I'm seeing on cars everywhere that say I eat ass. I see them a lot too. Everywhere. What's I mean, maybe it's just like a brand or something that I like didn't even know it's like a snowboarding thing, but I don't know. What is it? I what a snowboarding company. Just have a snowboarding company called I eat ass. Um, I mean, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the way to brand stuff. You just go and you you come up with some some statement. Um, or I've seen a lot of, I don't know if these are branded too, um, that say, but I was also living in Utah that say virginity rocks. I see a lot of those. I don't know if that's a thing, but that's not quite on the, on the, I eat ass, um, bumper sticker, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. I I'm sort of out of touch. If, uh, I don't know. I wish I was more in touch with a lot of things and a lot of things I, I find out way too late. And it's like, Oh, that was, it was a thing. It wasn't just people, uh, an I eat ass revolution of like homemade bumper stickers. That Because I mean, I, I felt like at first I was like, I, I just felt like people were like writing on their car and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, this is something's going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. When I was in living in uh, 
in Austin, Minnesota, there was this fucking car and it said like, oh, fuck. it didn't say fuck the police, but something like that. It was something like fuck the police. And then right under it, it was like, it was on the whole back of his, uh, whatever, the back window, like the whole maybe third bottom of it was said, I eat ass just fucking huge and it's, I, I i have a picture of it somewhere that might have to go okay, up so it is it is like a thing where people are like I'm, I'm just gonna i mean but imagine if it wasn't if it was a brand i don't know like i mean there's there's something kind of perverse about that where you're like you know you make it and then you're just happy that it's spreading and that everybody's putting it on their car or like I, uh i mean in japan uh they had i went to graduate school uh for a while at a public university and you know I, I have to admit that you know they they had this film contest there and my goal of you know wanting to win the film contest was that they would show the winning films in the cafeteria playing on the loop for you know two or three months at a time and so I was like oh, oh what, what do I want to put into my movie and I have to make it good enough that it wins first place but I also have to have some shots in there that like I'll be able to walk around on campus knowing that every single person who's eaten at that cafeteria has seen certain things, me doing certain things, uh, you know, while eating. And so I decided to shave my back in one of the movies and in multiple scenes, like too. It's like, there's one where it has like mild kind of, you know, coherence. And then there's just like later in the movie, I just throw it in again. Cause I'm like, if you missed it the first time, you didn't the second time. And you know, I'm like, I just, I just knew that like everybody on campus, like when we would go to class or like uh, go to the library, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you've seen me shave my back. So did you won this contest? We, we did. I did. It took a few years, but I, I managed to. Uh... <laughs> so, I mean, did that, that change? Did you become the I eat ass guy of the university? No, no. I mean, well, maybe I did. I don't know. It wasn't. <laughs> things are a little more you know ambiguous there you don't always like even right. if you were they wouldn't always say it to your face that's true so but i mean could you feel it could you feel that uh, people had seen you or like recognized you and they're like is that is that the guy is that the guy fucking in the video is that the yeah no no i definitely i definitely walked around with that kind of i don't know what you even call that messiah complex yeah, maybe maybe something like that. But I mean, that's fucking that's pretty wild. Like, um, so okay, so you're so, from, and also, I mean, this goes back because you know another memory I have of Ben or Rusty is uh, being in like video production class in uh, Mr. Calhoun's class, or is that his name? Uh, Mr. No, no, it was the, it was the uh, band teacher. Yep. Um, Boulay. Boulay, yes, Mr. Boulay. You know, I have those videos um if you ever if you ever want to watch them i you have splice, them. you should splice a couple clips in right now uh when you make the I, I, this i think i should yeah there's yeah. some there's some good stuff you you're always a scene stealer in it like uh i'm sorry it no. was no no dude it was fucking great man like you you were in there man like because it was usually a a weird combination of who was in that class like because yeah i mean I mean, it was a video productions class in fucking middle school. Like there wasn't a bunch of people in 1996, 1997 who were, who were doing that. And I mean, this was on camera editing, man. We were, we were, 
start you know what i mean like all of our edits were done like on the camera we're like oh let's go back and try to rewind to the part where okay now we're going to start recording again there yeah yeah we all had to have the uh the camera or the the tape with the 10 seconds of black at the beginning and the end and i mean there there was some stuff on there that got recorded over but i mean like every one of our uh videos that we did had to be changed because we had way too many uh innuendos in them and each one of them we had to we had to change like we we tried to get by i think we got by on some of them but every single one of them was just at least something so over the top and uh, i mean for when you're 13 year 14 years old it's yeah they give I you mean, the video camera and it's time right yeah and then i mean just go and add like you know 10 20 years to that 25 30 years i mean it's the same thing just fucking uh extrapolated man fucking we just keep going uh it's always gonna be i don't know like i think you know there there's so many things with art art can be i mean but it should make you feel something whether you know whether it's uh, i eat ass uh i mean you're gonna feel something with that um you know you can feel good you're gonna feel bad you're gonna feel something but going and looking at something having no emotion i mean it's still art maybe that that was the the thing they were trying to do was make a totally neutral piece of existence but no i agree yeah it's something that grabs you and makes you feel something yeah so i mean yeah, I, I think we should. Uh, I, I don't know. I've thought about pulling some of those up and putting them up online, but then I'm like, I, I don't know, man. Like, if, so, yeah, some of them are like, I don't know. If I would have to be clips, I don't know if we could do like the whole video for each one, but maybe yeah. I, it would probably make a lot more sense with clips than trying because yeah, the story. Just stories, a couple seconds even to cut back to middle, middle school Rusty and. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, there was definitely, yeah, maybe like three <laughs> seconds would be good for each each little one. But I mean, uh, there's one, there's one in particular where it's uh, these mats, the like those uh, mats that you have. Yeah, the gym mats. Like the gym mats. We're selling the and, mats, yeah. Yeah, and we had we had two guys in our group, two guys uh, in our group named Matt, and uh, so it was. It was for Matt. These Matt's. These yeah, not mats. these. These Matt's. Yeah, just like, yeah, these Matt's. It's so good. Like that, I'll get that one clipped out because that was that was what I remember um, pretty well with that one. That was, that was fucking hilarious, man. Like, it's just, it's so good. Like, I don't know. Um, even now, even 25 years later, dude, it's still fucking hilarious it's, i mean it's even more funny knowing that those guys names were actually matt um but i mean i mean some of i don't know like out of that group like i don't know who else really kind of kept on doing anything like in that whole class doing anything video and i don't know if anyone else did besides you and i oh. i'm trying I mean, I I like to think there was, but I I just don't really, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look into it. Head, yeah, 
Yeah. And I don't know, there's probably like 20 people in the class, maybe somewhere in there. It wasn't a lot. Um, do so no, I like, really. I what? was, I was all about it though. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't have a video camera before that. So it was like my first time to like make things and like be able to record them and like see them play back. It was like, I loved it. Yeah, man. Uh, and cause I mean, uh, maybe it was later, maybe it was in high school that we got to use, uh, got to go to the public access station and edit it um i know i did i know i did i went there and then like i do i was going the public access station until like i don't know six seven years ago like i was still going over there man that place was pretty awesome they fucking kept it going i was gonna i was gonna start another show i was gonna do but then like it's you can't do it the same way as it used to be like you couldn't do a call-in show and expect people to just be flipping through the channels and, and uh, stuff. right um so okay so do you remember uh jim spag do you remember uh he was the guy uh on public access like in portland who would always be i don't know doing really outrageous shit and he eventually um yeah he, I, I eventually oh go ahead no go ahead and he eventually got like he was very much for freedom of speech and uh, he eventually got kicked off the air for shitting on tv i do remember that yeah yeah and that, that was that was what ended it um but so my that friend the and end I, of the legacy yeah the end of the legacy so my friend and i we're we've been talking about doing a doc about him and uh there's not a lot access, do you have access to all the old tapes or like can Stop. you get there's I, I think we have enough probably to clip it out to get enough for for it um talking about is he alive no huh he's been dead for like almost 20 years can you find family and, members you think or well i found his lawyer so i'm gonna look for family members next but the lawyer is the first person we're going to talk with and uh i mean i think that's going to be a fun one to to unearth and I mean, just what it is and like how it would, I mean, there's no way it would get anywhere today. I mean, I don't think, or maybe it would, maybe it, I, cause I mean, it, it was just so out there, but I mean, it was for anyone. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, it's public. almost like that concept became like live streaming now in the sense, like everybody can do that. And I mean, yeah. depends on what platform you're on. You probably can't poop on youtube but you might be able to poop on some other places if you wanted to i yeah i bet there are plenty of places you can poop uh if you wanted to so yeah well broadcasting live yeah probably yeah, well, broadcasting live broadcasting live pooping so i mean yeah. uh I'm, I'm not gonna google it but it's it's, I, it's it's there if we're, we're thinking about it it's there <laughs> it's it's if we can yeah. say the words and understand each other then it exists yeah Yep, and soon there. So if anyone wants to search it, uh, feel free. It's it's there, so you can tell if you don't know what that is or you know what that may look like. Um, there's definitely ways to search that, but I, I don't know. It was uh, such a weird thing, and I remember and there being like the the call in shows were a thing. Like and you like with him, you could call. He had his like house phone number on there that you could call during the show, and like. But then I remember people doing, there was a studio one, um, some other show. There was like a couple of them. There were studio shows and then, or the, uh, 
uh, what was it? The Cannabis Common Sense show where the, that they'd always play, like, I think it was like 10 or 11 o'clock on Friday nights. And then it would start out with the dancing pot leaves. And then uh, they'd talk about, talk about weed for like an hour or, or I think it was an hour, it might have been a two hour show. But um, that one was always be one, but you can call in on that one. And so like, I don't know, like call-in call in shows aren't really as much of a thing. Like, I mean, now you can do, you know, live stream and have people, you know, chime in, but you're not usually getting people talking. Like there's a, there's a disconnect between talking and then someone that's anonymously typing. Um, yeah there's like something about the call where like they, they they ramble and their question like might not really even be so much about you but more about them just like really wanting to say something to everybody and it's kind of like by the end of it you're like okay you've made a five minute statement and i'm supposed to respond to it in some way right like uh like okay so love line we you uh you and i used to be pretty into love line yeah for sure and uh so there was the one person who would call every once in a while and tell these long fucking stories and yeah, always had yeah. the same the same punchline of uh right, of yeah. and the, then, the asshole the size of a mason jar like yeah and and i mean you just wait for it and like you can't i mean you can sort of replicate that now but i don't know if you can because i mean like loveline we'd listen pretty much every day and if we you know because then we also i forgot whose locker it was when we were once we were in high school someone had a locker and where they had a uh like a stereo like that a fucking it was, it was okay it was your locker ian's locker and we go stand out out front of ian's locker where we had however much those fucking batteries cost i don't know how many batteries we had to go through for that thing but I mean, there would be whatever coming out of Loveline just coming out of the locker. And I remember uh, they made us turn it off a couple of times, but for the most part, it was pretty cool just being able to have that. We were recording it on cassette tapes and playing it back out of the locker. Oh. <laughs> right. Every because night. Some people, some people could listen to it, right? I, don't I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we listened to it at school because uh, that made sense. Uh, yeah. Just in, in the fucking locker. Uh, so yeah outside yeah. of that uh, that one math teacher's room yeah yeah and, and uh yeah and uh, it was the old part of which is nothing it's all i went uh, back in there like six seven years ago or something that was weird um cause, like nothing's there anymore so um but yeah i mean it was it was weird so i mean there'd always be love lines i mean like it was that call in and um yeah, it's just, it's just hard to replicate. Like, I would love it if this show was a call-in show and people could, if there was enough people who randomly came across it and uh, wanted to call in, and I'd be happy to have them, you know, because people are, there's people, obviously, they're going to want to shit all over it and uh, get their asshole the size of a mason jar joke in there. And that's cool. Like, you just got to be able to know it and, uh, it's always funny, you know, with that with people like then having to like shut it off real fast once they get it. Okay, you know, they slit, they scut or snuck through the um, like the person that's screening the calls. There's always the person screening the calls. Like I remember, like calling into the radio stations, and they'd always have someone screening the calls, and that's it right. was even hard to get through then because 
then they'd be like so is that what you're really calling about like yeah yeah totally and then you know you get on there and you're poop or whatever you know probably didn't say poop but they there was a you know enough of a delay it wasn't totally live there was enough so you could dump it um yep if you needed to like so there was a, a radio station um down in like north portland i i was helping my buddy out sometimes with and uh which yeah one? and i mean uh the radio <laughs> station it was like a small one it's uh kffp it's uh freeform radio my my uh mike evans do you yeah, know yeah I remember. My, okay mike evans he, he has a oh, show on what? there called yeah who who ready um but i'd go on there and what do they, they do on, a, what, is, what, is, what do they do on mike's show uh he plays like fucking i just all pretty much all music um it was uh it was cool so like when i would be on there it'd be a little different because i'd be talking about god knows what and it was like two to four in the morning or some some uh odd time like that or midnight to four in the morning so it was always kind of weird going in there because it was usually when i was asleep but um but yeah i mean they'd have a dump button for when i say fuck or um you know or what whatever goes on you know repeats or rolls back you know 10 15 seconds and are you still not supposed to say fuck on the radio um so here's the thing with that one you could if it's playing like a song the song can say whatever in it it can say fuck shit whatever anything else you can think of but like the person who's the host couldn't swear at all now isn't that weird that's really weird and i i didn't understand that why in graduate school i noticed like you know, my Japanese professor, we'd be reading a book and like, he would get to the part where it would say fuck and he'd say like F star, 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 or F word or something else. And I, f- I called everybody out on that. I was like, Hey, you know, isn't it, isn't it kind of strange? That, like, you know, you respect the book enough that you're going to like dedicate a lot of your time and energy to reading it. And the book says fuck, or the book says cock or the book says whatever it says. Yeah. For right. some reason when you read it aloud or when you talk about it, like there's like something that makes you and the book different. Cause like the author wrote it in the book like the, the author. yeah that was the it was intended like I so or I noticed like we had another class where we were translating a, a book we were translating a book by Saul Bellow uh to Japanese and in that book there's a part where it said cock and I just the, when the person translated it they translated it to saying like asoko which means like uh like I guess like down there oh okay and you know i was like hey i just gotta say like you know you know for me asoko and cock have a little bit different nuance to it you know i i think there's a word for cock in japanese seems like it's an appropriate place to put it in she's like well you can't really say that in a graduate you know school class and i was like well sure you can because the book says cock like you say it in english i'm saying it right now cock 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 and I was like, I think the problem is, is that you guys just haven't gotten comfortable with saying the word in Japanese. I was like, we all know what it is. So on the count of three, we're all going to yell it as loud as we can. And I'm like, one, two. And the teacher's like, stop, stop. You can't do it. And I'm like, really? We can't yell it? And they're like, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm just saying you guys are all totally, you know. You so to, did you- If you can't even say the words, then you're enslaved by what's going on with language 
Yeah. Okay. So then uh, it never happened. It didn't. You didn't get them to yell out. Could they, would they yell out cock in English, or was no. it just? No, I mean, I think everybody could have yelled a different. I mean, they, I think it was more of a dramatic point that I thought it was interesting. They stopped me though. Yeah, because when we were doing the count, I was kind of like, "Oh, we're all going to say it together. It's going to be great." But like, I could see this look of like fear and terror on their face, on the lady's face, and was like, "All right, I, I don't want to like." I don't know. I don't know what yeah. the writing was in that situation, but. Yeah, or like you were gonna say it, and then like you don't say it, and then like one per only one person says it, and just like yells it out, and uh, or like, I say the wrong word, and I say the one that's like extra crude, and everyone's like, "Whoa, hmm, okay, like, this guy." Yeah, they're like, "How do you even know that one?" <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, I I saw it on on a bumper sticker. It said, uh, "I eat ass," and then under it, someone had another one that was said the other word uh whatever whatever it may have been so uh with okay so japan so when you were there you wrote your uh your thesis like your thesis was interesting it was like because I, I was trying to put into words how it was but i don't know if i could as well as you could because obviously not obviously i didn't write it um but dude yeah man and then you yeah and you have i mean there's a lot you got that and you got a book um so you want to talk about that um yeah i mean yeah i was uh i had a when i was living in japan uh, i lived there for about 15 years and uh, for a while, I guess after I went there after college, uh, I lived on an island and I was teaching English there. And uh, after about a year, my friend and I tried to move off the island to a place called Fukuoka, but through a dramatic series of events, we ended up moving uh, with his new girlfriend to um, a place called Nishinomiya, which is in between Kobe and Osaka. And uh, so it's about 15 minutes either way. Like it's kind of in the center between the two. So we moved into an apartment there and uh, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for work. So he ended up getting a job. Uh, my buddy got a job as a middle school teacher and I was collecting students uh, through a like placement company. Basically, there was a company that had a lot of students that wanted to learn English and then they would hire teachers uh, or the I guess it was an introduction company, they would make an agreement that uh, basically the students would pay me, you know, $30 an hour to meet me in a cafe and speak with me in English for an hour. And so I had 20 or 30 of these students and I would arrange private meetings with them each week, uh, mainly at a, a Tully's cafe across from the gym that I would go to. And so I would like exercise and go like teach for three or four hours and go back and exercise more and like go teach more and like it was about 15 minutes from my house. It was in downtown Osaka. Like everything worked out really well at the time. Uh, I could go meet friends or play or do whatever I wanted. And it was just a you, very were on your time. Yeah, it was great. And so while I was doing that, one of the students that I had uh, was a student. She had been a teacher, but decided to go back to graduate school or go to school and then go to graduate school. So I guess she was finishing something else or undergrad requirements for the master's that she wanted. 
So one of the classes she was taking, uh, she said it was hard. So she would basically listen to the teacher in Japanese and then bring all the material and like explain it to me in English. And I was looking at it and it was uh, like an American, uh, like, mm, I guess like contemporary literature class, like focused mainly on what was her class about? Luddism, technology, uh, cybernetics, Thomas Pynchon, just kind of, uh, and then like literary form uh, and all this difference of the notions of like humanities and science. And um, it was a class that, I don't know why she was in it, or I don't know, she was taking a lot of classes from this particular teacher, but I decided that I wanted to start auditing it. So I asked my boss if I could take Wednesday mornings off. And so I started going in and like just listening to this guy talk. And the class I was in was like a freshman introduction to literature class uh, for kids who were in a science course. So none of the kids wanted to be there at all because they're all like planning on going into like, they want to be like some sort of like, you know, uh, electrical engineer or something like that. And they, they don't give a shit about literature, but uh, and then my teacher like wants to punish them because his view is like, you know, you're going to just basically create all these monstrosities that are going to destroy the world because you don't even understand what it is to be human. And you don't really give a shit about anything. And you guys are just these like brainless test taking, like, you know, tech zombies that, you know, don't have a soul. So fuck you. And, you know, I'm going to punish you as hard as I can for the time that I have you in this room with me uh, for not caring. Huh. And I'm like, I care, I care. And huh. so, you know, me and like his other little fan club of like two or three post students that would like come in and audit his class or just kind of like sit in the back, uh, would kind of like hang out afterwards. And so he said, Hey, you know, you obviously are interested in this more than most people. So if you want, like, uh, you know, you can study more Japanese, but if, uh, when you're ready, like you should take the entrance test and come into graduate school here and then we can help you get into this and you can teach you do whatever you want to do and so i started studying really hard and uh i'd been studying japanese i think the first japanese class i took was back when we were in elementary school i was uh with mike ferris uh his sister had gone to japan and you know i think his mom had a connection there for a while too and so uh just through being around mike that was always kind of an influence but like we took a japanese class together there at stafford when we were eight for, I mean, I don't remember anything from it. Uh, but then in high school, like uh, Joey and Noel and a few other people, like, I guess, kind of like encouraged me to keep doing that. So um, I'd been doing Japanese for a while, but I always kind of sucked at it. Like, I always wonder, you know, I, you hear people say that music and language have some sort of connection. Like people who are good at music often are quite good at learning foreign languages. I'm terrible at music. I don't have any sense of rhythm or tone. And I'm also probably on the, uh, you know, just, for things that come naturally to people, I wouldn't say performative things like speaking in real time or I don't know. Anyways, I'm going to stop talking about that kind of thing because who knows, but um, anyways, where were we? Uh, so with Japanese, I felt like I sucked, but, um, and you know, even up to this point, like I'd kind of thought about giving up and just going home. And one of my friends had said, Hey, you know, if you, if you are actually thinking about quitting studying Japanese, like since you did it for so long, like, there's this guy on the internet who made this website called all Japanese all the time.com. And he's from Kenya, but he went to high school in England and college in Arizona. And then right after, like in his story, like he decided he wanted to learn Japanese starting when he was a junior in college and he hadn't studied it at all before. So he took Japanese class, but when he was taking it, he's like, wow, like this textbook, like 
even if I study for a year and a half, like I'm not even going to know how to like introduce myself or like get home or anything like that, like much less be like a programmer in Tokyo. Like how do I actually learn the language? And so he was started looking around online and he found these for like accelerated language learning options. And he found these, um, want to say Czechoslovakian people but I might be wrong um their website's antimoon.com uh and they taught basically they used a passive uh language learning model where they just watched tons of dvds or uh learned a lot like just by watching tv and absorbing it that way and then also um I mean, you can really learn a lot from a language just through, I mean, obviously immersion, immersion, you don't have to necessarily be in the country if it's passive input. I mean, you can listen to things in that language. I mean, especially with the internet now, we're able to like just completely immerse ourselves in a foreign language in an environment that we construct. Um, the only problem is then output because you're not really forced to speak unless you artificially force yourself to. Uh, and that requires a lot of discipline. But at the time, um, so this guy looked at that, um, Maybe they were Polish anyways, but he looked at their method for the anti-moon website and they did a combination of uh, passive input by watching, you know, several hours a day, but then also they did active study for probably 30 to 90 minutes a day. And in that they were using something called a SRS or a spaced repetition system, which is a originally it was like a system developed by this German journalist like named Leitner, I think was one of the first pioneers of it. Back in the 70s, he was studying about like how memory works and he was really interested in how you could take a short term memory and convert it to long term memory as fast as possible. Like how many times do you need to see a thing in order to commit it to memory and like not forget it in the future? And the question and the thing is, well, it really matters on the thing because there's so many different associations that we can have with something like some things we immediately have this whole network of things that are kind of like nebulously connected with it. And so that allows for um, like really easy association, like you'll recall that immediately and you probably never forget it again. But there's other stuff that has weak association and like you might need to see it like over and over and over again to build up new pathways or new types of associations to be able to have that kind of recollection. Otherwise, I mean, also it really matters on like, I mean, I think so much of what we think about knowledge is wrong because we think of knowledge as kind of like uh, almost objective or like separate, like truth is something separate from ourselves. But the only things that we really think about or know about are the stuff that we're interested in. And most of our interest is at first biologically oriented or rooted. And so it's like the interests of our body, the things that appear to us and are like, you know, there's everything that's outside of our scale of time and space and, you know, speed of the way that we move and like, you know, microorganisms, everything bigger than us, everything smaller than us. Like we have no awareness of whatsoever. We have just this very little tiny little narrow window that we can even conceptualize. And so, um, Oh man, I'm just gonna head myself. So, anyways, uh, this guy was trying to figure out like how you can do um, that. Basically, like what do you need to be able to do to memorize something? And my point with all the biological stuff is, if something is like meaningful to you, or if there's something that like your brain or I guess kind of like evolutionary system is perceiving that to have any sort of necessity whatsoever for your chance of survival, or if it's bringing you like some sort of really high stimulation, it's more likely that you'll be able to recall it or access it again. Uh, because of the situations that you're in and your desire to do that or your necessity to do that. But otherwise, like, you know, just information really is like, if you don't perceive like a direct use of it, like it's almost like your body isn't going to be able to like access those memories. Um, right. Uh, anyway, unless, so yeah, yeah, that's getting into like the whole and, way mnemonics work and stuff. Uh, I'll 
I'll just finish what I was trying to get to my real fast. So that guy uh, used uh, this German journalist came up with this method to be able to use flashcards to not just look at the same information every time when you're reviewing something that you're trying to memorize, because whether it's easy or hard, you're wasting your time because you're seeing it the same number of times. But when he had a sorting method where you'd rank uh, each card that you would look at from zero to five. And if it was a card that zero, you know, you're going to see that again in five minutes, whereas other cards would then be spaced out and how, how often you see it. Now that's really uh, back in like, you know, when he's designing the system and then for people who were trying to do this manually back in the eighties, nineties for learning any language or other things uh, using that method, it's pretty tedious and you have to have this big box with all these different cards in it and stuff. So you know, pretty quickly, that was one thing that people came up with the software options. There was something called Super Memo that was one of the first ones. And then I really like one called Anki, but there's a bunch of different ones. And a lot of the online language learning apps that are coming out now uh, incorporate SRSs into them uh, to be able to have people memorize a lot of information quickly. But this guy did it and he did it with whole sentences rather than just vocabulary words. He would, he would listen, this uh, guy from Kenya, when he was learning Japanese, he would look at things that he already was aware of. So he would do a lot of passive input by watching you know, I don't know if he was watching The Simpsons Japanese, but he had a lot of access to materials where it was movies that he already knew or stories that he already knew, and he could watch it in Japanese and maybe listen in, like, I don't know if it had Japanese subtitles per se, but he had some configuration where he could just do passive listening and kind of soak it in, knowing what was already going on in the story. And then from that, uh, his way of studying was to take key phrases or words that he thought he would need to use or want to use in the future and enter those manually into this software. So he created this huge corpus of like sentences that he wanted to be able to say. Now, the cool thing about the software is it's going to show you the things that you don't know uh, on a daily basis, bringing them back up to you until you've memorized them. Like if you make a mistake, you're going to see it again. If you didn't make a mistake, you're not going to see it as often. Now, the first time you get the answer right, you might see it again like two days later. Next time you get the answer right, it might be a week later. And like it's based on some uh, calculations they came up with based on tests of how humans on average memorize stuff. But things that are harder for you to form new associations with will be repeated constantly. Things that are easy for you to associate with quickly are moved into what's considered to be like on the way to long-term memory. And so you don't need to review them. And if you did make a mistake in it, it would go back into the earlier sorting pile that you would see more often. And so Basically, this guy did this and after 18 months was working as a computer programmer in Tokyo and then also teaching himself Cantonese and Mandarin. So I stumbled into his website and it's this terrible labyrinth of like million, it's like a huge hypertext link. It's almost like a joke. Like people look at it and like, this, this can't be real. Like it's, I spent probably a couple of months like just reading every single page. There's some of them I never found twice. Like I had word files that I would keep open and like try to copy all the important parts out of so that I'd be able to like retain them again. Cause I, there was no way, there was no like overarching map of the site. It was just, I don't even think he had one. It was just like endless links to links to links to links. And it was, it's amazing. I don't know if it's still quite like that, but it, it kind of has that feel. Um, like a blog almost or, you know. Yeah, it's like he was blogging every day and it just went for years. And there were so many where he went back and like edited in links to get to other blog posts, but like it didn't ever have a map and like, but it's gold. And then he tried to, I think, people went through and tried to harvest it out and create paid like different versions of it. But I, I just, I like his whole thing. He, I don't know. Uh, so, I a thousand bucks when I have a thousand bucks and I don't, I've never had an extra thousand bucks to send him yet, but I want to give it to him. Well, um, yeah, I think you should, man. I, like uh, when, when it happens, that's fucking cool. Cause I mean, I replicated, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, ran, I rambled too much about Japanese stuff right there, but I replicated his system 
uh and within 18 months i sat down and i took the entrance test and i, I like sucked at kanji like i was terrible at it like writing the japanese or the chinese characters that are in the japanese writing or written system just was kind of like my achilles heel always but uh you know i did it and i used this um i used a different system for memorizing the characters which was memorizing a bunch of little stories like these little english mnemonics but i did that and it went well um and so after 18 months, I was able to sit down and take that test with no dictionary. Uh, it was like a two and a half hour written test and I passed somehow. I think there weren't a lot of people taking the test and they, you know, it, it all worked out well. Um, but I got in and then originally I thought I was going to read more science fiction books and think about dystopia and stuff like that. And uh, my the professor I was studying under was like, hey, you know, that's not really how it works here. Like, we'll just kind of give you a topic because we'd like you to study certain things and maybe you'd be interested in researching that. I was like, Oh, okay. He's like, well, how about superheroes? And I'm like, uh, hadn't really thought too much about it. I, I liked them a lot when I was a kid, but I just hasn't really been the thing that I'm really into recently. He's like, yeah, I think that's a good thing to get back into. He's like, I think, uh, he was really interested in Thomas Pynchon, who's a, uh, American author. And yeah. he, for some reason, Pynchon had written a bunch of stuff about plastic man, uh, and a couple other uh, comics from like the golden age that was like not quite as famous. Yeah. Um, and so I started reading about that and was reading about Alan Moore and interested in Watchmen, V for Vendetta and things like that. And thinking about uh, like literary theory and about the way that society is kind of representing things through its narratives and talking about class and history and different things in those contexts. And that was cool. And I was interested in that for my master's. And then I went to the States and uh, I took uh, acid uh, and had a very, very intense experience. Uh, and it really made me think that talking and thinking about that experience would lead to a lot of exciting things in the future. So I came back with massive enthusiasm and couldn't hide it and was like, everyone, I don't give a shit whatever I'm doing, I can keep doing it, but I'm adding that to it. So now it's superheroes and LSD and everyone's like, right. And I was like, and I asked, I was like, am I gonna, is it, I mean, I really wanna do this, but is it gonna cause a problem? And everyone's like, no, man, no one, no one cares what you do. So. In a good way. Yeah, well, I think there was a little bit of the, the bad way implied in the, when they said it too, but that's all right. You know, or somebody else said, uh, you know, could you have chosen a smaller pond <laughs> as a research topic? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But I mean, you wouldn't have the same enthusiasm. Like when you have enthusiasm for something of that, especially, right? yeah, especially when you have that fucking moment when you're, uh, when, when you take acid, like that moment when something fucking clicks, like, for instance, one of the first things I thought the first time I, I took acid was um, the guy, Doc Ellis, who the pitcher uh, who mm -hmm. pitched the oh, no yeah. hitter. Yeah, that's a great. The, yeah, the first like 10 minutes, I said, you know, or like after like I was at like, you know, really fucking kicking in. I was like, dude, I know exactly how he did this. I can fucking do this right now. And I, I was like, that was I'm one that stuck with me. Like it was yeah i mean it's it's a certain feeling yeah yeah it's pretty fucking 
magical or whatever, whatever the fuck word you want to use for that. But so, okay. So you had uh, the two and you were trying to put them together with the superheroes and LSD. And then you. Uh, and I did. mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, and again, it was kind of back to. Uh, yeah, it all again, it kind of worked out because I noticed that that was one thing, uh, you know, Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, some of the other uh, popular superhero uh, comic authors, uh, the writers were usually like kind of vocal proponents for psychedelics and in an industry that didn't have that many people that were saying that at the time, um, even though it is art. Uh, and so it was just, I mean, in the types of story that they were both being recognized as writing very interesting stories or more complex stories or stories that were experimenting more with like the comics medium and form than just like with narrative in terms of like a, a plot. Like it's like, you know, there's a city and, you know, something comes and threatens the city and then, you know, the people have to defend it and, you know, the evil's thwarted, things go back to normal. It's like, that's kind of what comics have always been. And so it's more of like in a series of juxtaposed images on a page, you know, it, it's, it's like there's been always an art comics um, or kind of underground like experimental movement in comics for since the beginning of it that really is looking at like what it's capable of doing in terms of a medium, an artistic medium. And yeah. that wasn't always the case. And so I think it was interesting to see the way that, uh, you know, even in what's considered to be kind of like more mainstream or like children's things at that point, uh, that they were like uh, trying to take in like or trying to experiment and form more and being like what could we do in this particular genre like what happens in a superhero narrative that actually could be exploited more to make the form like reach its limits in terms of experimenting with time space notions of like uh, gods or you know collective entities I don't know like all the weird ways that uh, kind of some of those stories ended up going um, anyways I so I really enjoyed just like looking at a bunch of different comics. Like, I think I thought that I was going to be doing that a lot longer. And so um, I, I didn't get to write all the things that I wanted to write. I mean, that was just kind of like, I feel like theses in school are always kind of like just glorified homework assignments. Like it's, you know, before I'm offering it as something for everybody to look at, it's more of like something I'm offering to five Japanese men who are going to judge me on exactly like the format of how it's written and how many references I have and things like that to determine whether I'm going to be able to get like a stamp that will allow me to teach in a future job. And so I always feel like that's a different criteria than writing something that's like epic or amazing or like life-changing for people. And so I feel like uh, I had a publishing pressure to get my book out um, because I was required to have a book published at the time that I was trying to get a position in the university. And so with that pressure, I didn't make a lot of changes to my thesis. So it's pretty much as is like written for that audience of the five Japanese men. Uh, and so I, I mean, it's fairly unreadable in terms of interest. I mean, I, I think the subject matter is interesting, but the way I wrote it is not what I would consider to be a compelling way to write. So if I could do anything, I'd like to go back and like just change the whole thing. but that's not what I'm doing right now so you're on to you're on the other you're on you're telling about something on. but yeah there yeah there's there's a lot happening and you know that's that's what happens with art too like I well, mean things got weird because you know I met one of my friends 
as soon as I got into graduate school, uh, I met uh, one of my classmates who was really into a particular uh, French philosopher named Gilles Deleuze. And I, I really, uh, I took to it. I got really into it. I met her son who was uh, a few years younger than I was. And he, um, you know, he was at the time he was 19 uh, and just this total powerhouse of like, in, like just knowledge. Like I would go over and just sit in his room and he would just have like heaps and heaps of books everywhere and like clothes everywhere. And like, he just like explained things to me and I just sit there and like take notes the whole time. And it was just, it was amazing. Like he told me about all these authors I'd never heard of all this American stuff that I like all the discordian stuff I got from him. Like all the things just came from my interactions with him. And then he had found all these people on the internet in Japan who were also like the Japanese proponents and like translators and the people who are all about it there like Japanese weird stuff and so I was just grateful that I mean he's continued to like just share things share things with me like he's written a couple really weird novels in Japanese like I I don't know I I hope I continue to get to collaborate with him yeah I eat ass and I mean uh it's dude it's fucking it's cool like it's is how I don't know because like now that it's been you know a number of years like there's other people that I'm finding like that are my friends or like people that I know They're like oh yeah dude I fucking I've read this shit and I'm like dude what, how how the fuck like yeah how did you stumble this, into it yeah yeah how'd you stumble into it like uh where, where do you like oh yeah it was on my fucking bookshelf and I read it and it's like where in the fuck did you get it like how like i thought it was so bizarre you giving me that and then then you know that just took me down a bunch of rabbit holes and um yeah you know there was a guy his daughter was in uh the same grade as sam at stafford in third grade and like i met him at he showed up at one i guess it probably he was at parent teacher events like or like parent events at stafford but like i didn't talk to him there and then i I made uh, the Portland Association of Deleuze Studies. So we study about that philosopher here now. And we do that every Thursday night. We used to do it at a Lebanese bar, or this German place too. Uh, but now we're just doing it online because uh, there's people from out of state who want to participate. So it's just easier. Um, On Thursday nights? It's Thursday nights. Uh, we're, we'll see where it all goes. Like now we have a venue or a space that we can use. So I kind of want to go back to in-person, but I also don't know if we want to keep going with that or if we want to, move into the experimental phase of whatever our get togethers are about. Uh, Cause we've already been doing a lot of like study for a long time. Um, but we, uh, what was I? Um, so you were saying about your, uh, the Thursday nights, the, the group and how, where you're going to go next. Oh, no, no. I know that. I was trying to think about what oh. got me to that, but uh Oh, we were talking about Discordia and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I'm losing it. All right, it's fine. Okay. I'll, just, I'll blather about Thursday nights for a minute then. That's yeah. Well, so I I well. So how many people find that? I like. Uh, you can find it on Meetup. Uh, I originally came back from Japan, and I was really enthusiastic about the news and I was talking to all my friends and family about it all the time and I was like going to Starbucks every morning and sitting there for like five hours reading his books and like taking notes and just kind of going crazy 
Uh, and at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do because I've been in Japan from 2005 to 2017 or whenever. And I guess for a year before that as well. And uh, so it just ended up with, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there just trying to figure out like, what do Americans do? Like, why, wh what am I going to do to fit in here? Because I didn't even really feel like I fed in like before I left for Japan. And I'm like, how am I going to fit in now that I'm back? And yeah. so, and you know, now I'm like super into psychedelics at the time. And so I'm very like open, like I'm very enthusiastic to be there every day. I'm like sitting at Starbucks. Like I know every staff member's name. They know everything about me. Like they made me, they tie dyed a t-shirt for me. Uh, oh. Like on their breaks, everybody can sit down and hang out with me. Like I couldn't get a lot done with a lot of time because it was just like this huge stream of people. And I, I loved it. It was like this, uh, I could ride this little, I bought this little, uh, razor rsf 650 uh it's like a little it looks like a miniature ducati it's like a little electric motorcycle for children yeah sure and i uh i found a upgrade kit on ebay that allowed me to put a variable speed throttle and a keyed uh ignition and a uh um an extra 12 volt battery so it was over volted so it would uh with 48 volts instead of 36 so it could do like 27 miles an hour instead of 15 like it was intended so Holy i would take shit. that over to starbucks in the morning and it was just like you know, I, everything was going pretty good. Um, and I, so I was spending hours there just like reading Deleuze's books and I would talk to my friends and family about it. They, you know, finally one of my friends is like, look, man, we don't want to hear this shit anymore. Like it sucks. Like we don't understand what you're saying. We're not into it. Like you got to shut up. They're like go find your own kind, man. There's this thing called meetup, like go use it to find other people who are into it. I was like, oh, okay. So I look on meetup and the first thing I find is this group called Nietzsche's children. And it's like Mondays at this bookstore downtown. Uh, this bookstore called Mother Foucault, amazing place. Uh, Craig's the owner, I think, and it's really, really cool spot. Like there's some, it, so I went in there, I met some interesting characters. It's a really neat store that has a very interesting collection of rare books. Um, and they would host this philosophy club, like there amongst the books, like it's this really interesting wooden room and you'd sit there and this guy, Mark Montesano, he used to be a professor, I think at Arizona State University for psychiatry or something. Uh, he'd retired and moved up here and he got a, he was a DJ on uh, KMHD doing like uh, hard choices. It was like a hard bop show on Saturdays. And so in addition to that, like he would run this Nietzsche group on Monday. And so there were a bunch of people there and I would go and I was just like really into reading it. And I was just talking mad shit on, I, I don't know. I was pretty like, it was an interesting experience, but I, I was just like really into it. And one of the guys there was like, man, like, you should probably run your own group. Like you, you need to have your own thing. So I'll, I'll advertise it for you and I'll organize it for you. So you just put it together, this guy, Richard Polk. And wow. he started advertising it, putting it out there. And uh, so I made a website and people came. And so we just formed this group and he had already made a different group called the People's Colloquium, which was kind of like the parent umbrella thing. And then he was encouraging various different people to like teach seminars in public places and then have them advertised on meetup so that became like a grant foundation thing so i'm on the board for that now we issue grants for local artists uh people who need money for paying for their zoom membership or paying for uh space fees or for you know whatever software fees they have and things like that to be able to oh, do whatever offering that they really want to do like if they want to teach like the philosophy of math and they have like a unique way that they want to do it in the university of portland or PSU doesn't really have a place for a person like that. Like 
basically it's a way that he's like everybody who has something that they're intensely passionate about who doesn't have a platform to teach it can get together with people for free online and they shouldn't have to pay for setting it up or having to necessarily like deal with all the logistics because most of the people who have like a free offering like the philosophy of math are not necessarily the most like organized people when it comes to like getting things together yeah. and being like you know and having like the coffee venue set up so, so it's been like meetup. yeah meetup's been a big thing for us and then we made a discord and so there's a lot of us like now through the meetup you get to the discord and then the discord gets you into all the other uh various different activities that they're doing there so so if you're gonna go in person would you do like a hybrid and like stream it to would that be too much <laughs> or just try to keep it all one or the other do like or do like the in person and record it and just put it up on upload it to whatever or um, i mean i don't yeah, there's a lot yeah I, I don't know i i'm i'd like to do something hybrid because i don't want to ever cut anybody out but at the same time you know it, it's there's some appeal to just being back in the same room. Like, I mean, just for the first two years or three years, we were just, you know, hanging out, like eating and talking and just kind of like spending time in the same space. And I think there's something that's like great about that if you can do it. Yeah. Or so. even like have it on a, a semi um, frequent event, uh, have yeah. it like lead up like do the ones online and then be like oh make sure fucking sunday 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 we're gonna be out here at the at the, yeah, the yeah, shop that started our, it all man yeah no we uh we got the event space so uh okay. and when i say we like it's not really defined exactly what we is um but we've got a space now that we're trying to uh come up with kind of different activities that we can do there um I went to Meow Wolf, uh, if you're familiar with that. Uh-uh. Uh, it's like a psychedelic fun house for adults. And they built one in Santa Fe, and they built one in Las Vegas, and they built one in Denver. And I think they're making one in Texas now. And it's like, there's a documentary about the group, but they started in Santa Fe, and it was like, uh, they basically are these installation artists that use maximalist art. So it's like, you know, everything glued together on top of everything else with like every psychedelic color of paint with like LED lights running through the whole thing. And I think originally it was much more kind of like hodgepodge put together stuff with like, you know, extension cords everywhere and Christmas lights. And, but still like with an intense artistic, you know, just like collage art from garbage basically. Uh, and then from that, uh, I think when they got more funding, they started making their installations involve more technology and more like kind of uh, immersion stuff with like LED walls and weird things that you can interact with and stuff. But they, uh, so they created, yeah, they started creating these different installations. They built this giant boat inside of a building out of wood temporarily, and then built all these rooms inside of it and had people go through it as a museum. And then they took it all apart and then, they asked George R. Martin, who wrote Game of Thrones, I guess, to uh, give them like $2 million to buy a bowling alley uh, so that they could convert it into a giant, like a 19th century Victorian home that's connected to like an intergalactic travel agency that leads to different dimensions or something. And so Holy that's shit. the first one, I think. And then I haven't been to that one yet. You went to uh, the other ones? I went to the one in Vegas with uh, Quentin and Justin. Cool. Okay. Hell yeah. And so, I'll just, it was wow. uh, probably not what 
I don't know if, I mean, for me, I'd say it was one of the best, if not the best art moments I've had where art suddenly was like not uh, something I'm looking at or an object or something I create on like a piece of paper or something that's like shown on a wall, like the entire thing, like the entire thing is just like an experience that they've designed for you to have. And I mean, obviously people are like, well, duh, like that's what experience design and immersion stuff is all about. But for someone who's, I don't know, it, it just totally knocked my socks off. Like you go in and the one in Vegas is like a, a supermarket that all the products in there are like very bizarre, like yep. Omega Mart. And you open up the fucking door and you go through all that and you go into, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like, all so right. that thing, like I went into that in like the most open-minded set, like, way that I possibly could like you know like you know pupils as big as they could be sure and I mean yeah I just I found like they the people who designed it just designed it so perfectly with like weird little nooks and crannies like the whole thing felt good like the sounds felt good the lights felt good the textures felt good like all the places to sit felt good like everything about it was like hedonistic like it just tickled me like I was so happy like the you know the bass would hit and you'd be like yeah and like this other sound would be like and be like and it just like everything about the whole thing was like designed by artists who knew what it was like to be like so incredibly high out of your mind and like that you couldn't stop smiling like oh. uh, they had this thing I don't know if it was called the garden or what it was but it was like they had all these fake plants that they'd spray painted white like tons of them like the walls are completely covered in, like all this foliage like back in the corner of it they have this weird like corduroy toadstool looking green brown pillow thing that they've sewn together and I like crawl up on it and I perch on it and you know I'm just like ecstatic like i'm just sitting there and they're doing like some sort of projection uh just like projection stuff onto the the white plants that's shimmering and you know i find myself just like grinning and like you know i'm, I'm kind of like all hunched around in this weird position up on this toadstool thing in the corner and you know this family comes in with their young kid and they they look over at me and like i mean i i just couldn't stop smiling like i'm like you're in your fucking happy place. i was in the zone i was 100 yeah. percent into the garden and you know, at, you know, they, they, I, I saw them like at first the parents were kind of like, mm, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep our kid from going back in that corner. But at the same time, like, it was fine. Like we were able to, they were having their experience. I was having my experience and everything's, everything's good. Apparently the staff are really uh, good at handling that there. Yeah. Uh, my friend said that if you're having a real bad freak out in the supermarket part, they'll come out with the, like, the employee of the month badge and put it on you. <laughs> Holy shit yeah no, everyone's, like everyone's in everyone's role-playing like they're all dressed like scientists or like supermarket employees and you can interact with them you can talk about them with like weird nonsense science stuff or you can talk about like the products in the store or if you were having a major freak out they'd be like it's okay you can come to the calm down room and they have like a place where you can like calm down because they intended this to be a place where you can have a good time Fuck, at least I'm the way i interpreted it to be I'm mad that I fucking don't live next yet. to Vegas, man. Yes, I was, I yeah, I was like I a five five hour drive from Vegas. It's probably worth it. Well, now I'm fucking nowhere near Vegas. It might so, be worth to go anyways. Yeah, it's now yeah, next time I go back, uh, go there. Yeah, maybe go to Vegas or one I'm of those places. To, to, to Denver or to uh, Santa Fe, I think. Um, but have you been to Santa Fe? You've been to Mexico before? No, dude, I, I'm I'm interested. We were looking at moving there before we ended up out here. Like we were talking about moving to New Mexico for a while. They got some fucking like for living 
like out there kind of a thing it's pretty fucking good a good deal like out uh like yeah. you know sort of it's quasi off-grid but not like fully but they got like these houses that are made out of uh like fucking glass bottles i think and yeah, like the earth, it the earth the earth ships. yeah yeah the earth ships yeah and it fucking dude that shit blew my mind i was like it takes a long time to build them but dude those yeah. things are fucking cool and, and you know like keeps the the house at least 70 degrees year round and uh you know Pretty all the, the yeah whole fucking room just full of uh plants and all kinds of shit dude i mean that place was sure oh man that's cool you know about that um dude yeah i'd like to get out i'd like to see that if yeah make it out to a trip out there fine fucking dude oh i found this on my dad's shelf it's got like looks like my my aunt gave it to my uh my dad for uh his birthday back in like the 70s or something but it's called uh, other homes and garbage and started reading it and it's basically like this book that like goes through and is all about designing like how to like every aspect of how to like live off grid or like do things like and it's just like got these weird little illustrations they've got like all the calculate like all the math formulas that you need it's like before the internet like everything you would need to know to be able to like set up like wind and hydroelectric and like farms and how to like plan your foliage for wind deflection and like shade and like how all the like theories about how to like set up like the internal like uh systems for heating and cooling and just i mean it's just this wild wild book holy uh, shit that's so, a fucking fine right there it's super inspiring look at the people who wrote it like look at these guys <laughs> oh dude those guys were all about it they were all just fucking had their space out there just yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, you got a fucking dude named Gil, man. You even got a guy named Gil. Gil's out there. He's fucking Gil Masters. Gil Masters, dude. That's a fucking great name. Yeah. I, I yeah, like Gil Masters. That's pretty, pretty good right there. The book so too, like the, the sentences in it are like not. Let me see if I can find it, like one of the over-the-top dramatic ones. Some of them are kind of like these, just like not sentences you would expect to find in a book like this they're a little more philosophical so i find it to be uh you, wait, you wouldn't expect there to be philosophical stuff in a book like that i guess you I, would expect it that's what, how it should be written if it's i i think yeah. it should yeah like i think that's the way it should be there's not i mean there's different groups of people who want to live off grid for different reasons and want to you know live that life uh yeah, yeah for sure yeah. so you guys were thinking about new mexico though yeah yeah totally thinking about it and uh because yeah but it's it's hard to find the remote work that would have worked out for that and then yeah then it was like and then yeah we ended up we're in connecticut now so um it's not not quite not quite new mexico dude but i fucking i love the uh high desert man high desert's fucking great that's my i haven't visited space. i want to see I need to go. Yeah. I'm getting. Well, oh, I'm turning that up. No, no. I'm... Okay. Dude, yeah. The, um, like, dude, Utah, like the high desert there is fucking unreal, man. Like, it was, it was really cool. I just, yeah. Utah had its, its ups and downs, much, uh, 
like I'm a dude in the desert. There's something about the desert, the high desert, man. It's just, it feels, I don't know. It feels kind of right. Um, but, I mean, I mean that's yeah, good to hear. Cause, yeah, because I mean, like, as opposed to Portland, like it's it's pretty different. It's weird. Uh, I don't know, because it's just so different. Because yeah, I'm in mean, Portland, like lived there for over 30 years and it's just the same but yeah there's something about the desert the high desert if it would have been different people there if like i would have been out if i would have been out in the away from everything i think it would have been more doable and i i could have could have stayed there but um new, new mexico look cool new like eastern new mexico even into like West Texas over in that area too. Like we're, we're looking out over there and that looked pretty fucking cool out there. Right on. Uh, and yeah, especially with the, those houses, uh, if we could have, you know, eventually got one of those houses built and just lived out in a fucking fish tank, man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. It would have been pretty all right. But, um, yeah, well then let's, uh, so there's still a, a bunch of stuff I want to talk about with you. So uh, I should do another one sometime. Uh, but if that's cool with you, if you want to. Oh, I, yeah, no, I'm always going to talk more. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's still a lot Thanks more. For letting uh, me, Thanks for letting me ramble for a little while about stuff. Yeah, man, dude, that's that's what it's about. You got to fucking ramble, dude. Like, I, I ramble. So it's a rambling thing. Um, so what do you so your uh your meetup so people want to get your meetup or uh, they can go i don't know it might actually be kind of boring right now like we, we even stopped reading jill deruz and now we're uh we're on to this guy henry Burson, and i lost about like 90 percent attendance when we switched over there were some times where it was just me oh. um yeah no okay. it, it got, we we took a blow but then uh it's, it's been coming back and we've got uh it's a different type of book and I'm not sure everybody's down with it. I've had some friends say that, you know, they're, they don't even want to know that I'm like reading that and talking about it. Okay. Uh, not that it's offensive. It's just the guy was like a French metaphysician back in like the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. And he's famous for, he was pretty famous at the time in France and in other parts of the world. His books have been translated to a lot of languages. And uh, I think, I don't know all the details, but uh, I think he criticized Einstein's theory of relativity uh, by trying to say that Einstein uh, was also a student of like, is it Rimian or Ryman? And he was using like Ryman mathematics to uh, come up with certain parts of his theory of relativity. And I think Bersolin was trying to say that the in Ryman mathematics or Rimian, I'm not even saying it right. Uh, there were these two different types of multiplicity one's discrete in which things can be broken apart and analyzed quantitative or like measured quantitatively or uh broken into smaller parts and the other one would be some sort of like continuous or qualitative multiplicity and that that uh einstein in like the way that science operates in general like can't take into account uh qualitative multiplicities but that's where duration or time that exists outside of space uh would be functioning and um you know, Einstein's just like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, what are you even talking about? And so there was like, that was kind of a, uh, I want to say like a, the end of Bersolin's like public career, basically, I think is he lost fame and Einstein continued to become more famous. 
And then there's been a couple of attempts by various French philosophers. Uh, I think a guy named Merleau-Ponty and then uh, Deleuze, again, I'm butchering the names, but they tried to kind of go back and be like, look, you know, even if you got some things about, you know, the way that we normally think of space and time wrong completely, like maybe there's still something interesting here to what he's talking about in terms of uh, duration and subjectivity. And so I we're going through now because the books that those people wrote about him seem to be a little bit incomprehensible if you don't actually read what he said. So we're trying to read like what his original thoughts were, and then we're going to go back and read what the French people said again, uh, what Deleuze okay. said again, and then if we can, we'll read Spinoza's Ethics, uh, not in Latin but in English, and then again we'll read one more book by Deleuze about that, and then we'll read two or three books by Friedrich Nietzsche, and then read the book that we started with uh, again, and I think that'll probably just be the end of it because that'll take another couple of years and. I don't really like to do anything for more than five years at a time. So my goal would be to uh, kind of loop back around and we read the same book. The, the thing that made me want to make it in the first place, the book called Nietzschean Philosophy, uh, is kind of like what I started reading with as a public thing with all the people. And like, basically, we would just reread the same book again after having read everything else all these other times and see where we're at. But basically, like from there, it's like, I mean, there's a million other things we can read in other books, but I, I kind of want to like, I want to stop reading and like make something happen. Like that was kind of the goal of like putting being a professor was like, you know, you can imagine what life's like, you know, I watched this stupid interview with Sting from the police and yeah. he was like an English teacher in high school. And he was like, Oh yeah, everybody loved me. And I was charismatic. I knew I was going to be the principal of the school. Like all the high school kids loved me. And like, my life was great. And I knew exactly that everything would be perfect. But then, you know, it's like, I'd rather live a life where I don't know what's going to happen the next day rather than the life where I do. And so he's like, I just quit and, you know, went with my band and it worked out for me. It doesn't work out always, but, you know, it's just a thing that it's just a different choice. And so that was like watching that and reading some stupid books on Zen that say things like, uh, you know, whatever you think is success is just the thing that entraps you and imprisons you from ever being able to try anything else in life because it's the thing you're doing. And so if you're doing one thing, then you're not doing other stuff. And so that's not like a moral thing. It's just the way it is. Like you yeah. can try to multitask, but there's a limit to that too. It's like you get a, you know, especially if you're trying to do something as a career or whatnot. So it seems like, you know, if you have the ability to throw it all away at five-year increments, like, yeah, sure, you're probably not going to amass a lot, but you at least get different experiences. And which are fucking important, man. Like, and they can so easily just be tossed away. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know. Like yeah, I could all the things, all the experiences add up, and you kind of like at the end, like it's all like a big special hologram. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I could, I could have had a job working for the fucking had like a government job for the, you know, until I retire, and I. You'd be doing it right it. now. I'd be doing it right now. I'd be out fucking doing that, and uh, yeah, nope, nope. Sometimes it's you gotta work. Wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it, man. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, sometimes you got to work. And sometimes you got to fucking do what you got to do and get out and get outside your bubble a little. Get outside yeah, I mean, your bubble. I, I, get a I bubble. Came back and when I was observing humans at the Starbucks, like that was my two conclusions were, well, people need a place to live. So I'll become a real estate agent. And number two is people need to drive around in America because there's no public transportation. So they need some cars. So I was like, automotive and real estate are the two things I'm going to try to do simultaneously. So we launched the van business uh, and I got my real estate agent's license and I started the philosophy group all within like a couple months of each other. 
and got super busy and just wanted to see like, you know, I figure you just throw as many things as you can at the wall. Like in the meantime, I already had that paint pouring uh, thing where I was making the big digital oh, yeah. displays. So I was trying to market that. And at the same time, I was doing the real estate agent's license at the same time I was doing this other stuff. And then also like lined everybody so I could like sneak off to that Starbucks and like read my esoteric philosophy for like more time than I was reasonably supposed to each day. Uh, but you needed it. You needed it. And like, dude, like watching people and like understanding people in a way uh if like what sitting in starbucks in westland oregon like watching people is fucking finding out like that's that's deep that's deep deep stuff like you wouldn't understand it like in a lot of other places you wouldn't understand it you wouldn't understand and uh i mean going into you go into starbucks every day is one thing like but you're going in there you're seeing you're seeing the patterns you're seeing what you know you're coming up with the conclusions from the patterns and you're immersing yourself in it uh such as like is, when you i kept going back to that one because i was like dang there's always so many people in this one and the other ones are always kind of like empty or like you know even if there's customers in the other one like they don't all know each other they're not saying what's up i'm like everybody here knows each other everybody at this place is like totally like excited and like super positive and i'm like what's you know, and then I realized there's like a mega church across the street and everybody at the Starbucks like all goes to the mega church. Like all the staff go to the church. It's like, that's the church of Starbucks. And I'm the only like Satanist. The I'm church a, of Starbucks. You know, I'm a. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I suddenly realized that dealer license plate number 0666 wasn't winning me friends. Or maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was among their kids, but. Um, How oh, so we, with dealer place, can you request your own? No, uh, no, I I was randomly assigned dealer 666 because I came between dealer 665 and 667. Holy shit. Yeah, no, it was interesting. And so, and then also, even if I lose my plates, they will continue to give me 666 because that's my dealer number. So I will be, I've been branded by the Oregon DMV with the Mark of the Beast. For so, so then do you have... Uh, like two, so if you have like two plates or you just get one plate per person and you have to go and rotate them. I can them. get as many plates as I need to. No, I can just keep and buying more plates. All the plates would all be 666 on them. Yes, they all say you 666 said, and then a letter. So it'll be like 666A, 666B, 666D. For each different car you have, you start out with 666A. And they're all just, just, they're just interchangeable. I don't, I don't have to uh, assign them to a car. So like anytime I'm driving anywhere, I just take any dealer plate and put it on any car and I can drive around with insurance. Okay. If it's, something, uh, if it's legally owned by my dealership. Like, so we, I mean, I don't abuse it at all. I don't pass the plates out to anybody or anything, but it's like, it is a very interesting thing. And I heard that there are a lot of people who own their own dealership just for the purpose of being able to use dealer plates on all the different cars that they own. And I was like, that seems like a weird, sketchy, rich person thing that I don't want to know about. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I see lots of dealers driving around. I'm like, do you actually sell cars or do you just like have a bunch of Mercedes and you don't want to have different insurance for each one? Yeah. I see a lot of dealer plates. I saw a lot when I was in Salt Lake City. There were tons of dealer plates there. There's, there's a fair amount here, but dude, like, yeah, it was ridiculous. I'm like, how are there this many? Like, who are these people? I, I usually yeah. see them at the car wash. It'd be the place where I'd see him probably the most. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, got to wash the cars to keep them clean before you sell them. Yeah. So like, okay. So you're, so I guess that we can 
put that in there too like so if you you need you want a japanese vehicle man this is the guy you come to like yeah. you're you're in the united states you want to fucking have to be 25 years old or older so it's got to be 1997 soon to be 1998 is the uh, newest ones we can do but you know so we mainly do toyotas because they've got good reliability we aim for things that are under 100,000 miles like uh just got a toyota land cruiser in last night that it's got like 59,000 kilometers so it's like somewhere around Whoa. like 39 39,000 miles on it i think holy shit and it's like brand new and you know we just got we got a fire truck in yesterday that's got like i think maybe like 11,000 miles on it uh we're trying to buy like a car care i mean no things are things are wild like the cars are really low mileage there and we've got a couple different mechanics that we're working with over there and trying to set up a third uh who do all the timing belt water pump and maintenance stuff on them before we ship them out if they need to have the paint touched up or anything or having them handle that and it's uh so the cars are showing up in good condition and then we've got somebody here who checks them again and we do our own kind of quality check and clean them and then just i photograph them uh we got a we're working on uh yeah, just more marketing stuff online so that more people find out about it. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not huge on cars, but dude, I see when I see these cars, I'm just always just stoked. It's just like uh, on on the I think it's Instagram, I think is what what they're on. Uh, and yeah, dude, they fucking blow my mind every time. Like, dude, that's a fucking cool car. I'd be I'd be stoked to be riding around in that thing. Like, yeah, the minivans we never had. Yeah, yeah, dude, like. Man, I would totally ride one of those right now. Like I would, I'd be, I'd be all about it. So, I mean, I hope you're getting to, you know, get, get some joy out of riding those around and, you know, knowing those are going to people because no one, I don't know, maybe not nobody, but I assume not a lot of people are just gonna be like, oh, I need a car. Um, but they should be, they should be like, dude, I need a car. Well, you know what? I should get a fucking Japanese car. Like we had this guy call me and he's like, yo, like, uh, I want to get this van from you. And it's, he, he wanted to get this, uh, two wheel drive, uh, Mitsubishi Delica. Like it's this weird little cool thing with skylights on the roof. And it, it's just really sick. Like, oh, and no. he's like, yeah, you know, I've got five kids and my neighbor was like, yo, you got to go get a van from this place. And he was like, oh yeah, I want it, but I don't have a lot of money. And neighbor's like, oh, it's all right. I'll just give you, I'll float you three grand so you can go buy it. And the guy apparently was like a mechanic at one of the other shops in the area that used to work on him a lot. And so he's like, if anything happens with the van, I'll work on it for free for you. You should just go buy this van because it's a good van. And like, I think it only had like 30,000 miles on it. But wow. yeah, so this guy shows up and he's like, yo, it was kind of weird. Like my neighbor gave me three grand to come buy this van from you and said he would work on it for free. So, and I'm like, it sounds like you got a good neighbor, man. I was like, yeah, guy obviously likes you a lot. Holy shit. Yeah, dude, like, I oh mean, like, they're fucking cool. Like, if you're, you're out looking, you should be looking. And, like, the people who want them are people who are going to be stoked to have them, uh, which is a fucking cool thing. It's not like, oh, dude, I need a car to get from point A to point B. But, I mean, they're going to fucking go, they're going to take you from point A to point B, no problem. But, yeah, I mean, they're just fucking, they just always look so fucking rad. And uh, so if you want to look rad and you don't look rad enough, you can look more rad. You can always look more rad. At the uh, beginning, yeah, a lot of our first clientele was like uh, people who were. It was like kind of the heyday of Instagram photography, and people yeah. were kind of like, "Oh, how do I like do lifestyle photography to separate myself from everybody else?" And so it was like a lot of photographers were like, "Oh, I need this band. Oh. So I'm go take pictures of myself and my." And 
Japan. Other in like beautiful yeah. places, and then we'll post it on the internet, and then we won't have to work anymore because we'll just have all these yeah. van pictures and drone shots of us doing like nothing in the middle of nowhere, looking like luxurious. And I mean, it seems like that was definitely a phase on Instagram. Maybe it still is. Maybe that's what it's still all about. Maybe it is. It still no. is. But I don't know. I feel like I don't know. I I don't really More, follow a those. different. I, so, I was just I like, do. at the beginning, it just seemed like a disproportionate number of people who sure. had that vision in mind were like, oh, that's a good prop for what I'm trying to build right now. Uh, yeah. No offense to anybody who did that and is listening now who got a van through us. I really appreciate the business. I'm sorry I said anything that implied that that was like a, not a good way to live your life. Thank I you mean, fuck, dude, like they can do whatever they want with the van when they buy it, man. Like, and it's, it's fucking great, man. Like, um, yeah, they're fucking, they're set. They're set. And like, they're going to be, I mean, they're going to, it's, free fucking advertising for you all day so yeah, good time, I mean, uh, they stickers on we noticed people are yeah. leaving the stickers on so that's that's a good sign yeah so i mean uh yeah stick with that uh we're trying for, to build a simulator right now we've got a we've got a wrecked one or not wrecked but it, we bought it from like a we found it in the junkyard and it just had a little bit of front end damage uh and the people didn't know how to repair it so it got totaled out and the insurance company was just selling it for nothing so we grabbed it and we've used it as a parts car. So a lot of the parts we pull, we pull the engine and a few other things. So now we've got this shell. My dad and I have been using it for building uh, like um, mock-ups for camper builds to put in the back, like pull out the seats and put in the drawers and bed and, you know, whole system for electrical and refrigerator and stuff like that. And so we're building like our little mock-ups in the back of it. But then this mechanic that we hired from St. Louis a few weeks ago, I guess over a month ago now, uh was like man you know someday i want to just build like vehicle simulators and like i'll retire doing that i was like well don't wait till you retire let's just do it right now and so i was like look we already have one that doesn't move like why don't we put some screens around it and so we started coming up with different plans for like how to do a 360 degree screen to like project onto it so that's the thing i've been working on like right now as hard as i can is like trying to figure out what kind of projectors work best for that type of thing because like obviously like if you use like an ultra short throw uh, projector, like you can't do curved walls, but if you don't, then you've got like angles and you have to like maybe position it so that like those little like, you know, support frame things for the car in front of the windshield would come down. So it'd block like the angles, but for like where you have the dimensions of the room that you're projecting onto the walls for, I think it's easier because I was looking at uh, a bunch of flight simulators where people do like 270 degree curved screens that go all the way around you uh, yeah. and then project onto that. Um, like it was looking as though that would probably be a better thing and then just use like a projector that's like mounted up on the ceiling to do it Holy um, so i found this company in the netherlands called uh flight elise ng and they make like all the monitor the projector calibration and like planning things like you create like a little virtual version of your simulation first and then you figure out what you need and like how to space it and where to locate everything and then I was watching these, like, I think they're Australians uh, building these flight simulators. So I was like, oh, I can build a screen like that. So we're working on trying to put together like one that's got like a vehicle. And then we were like, oh, well, why don't we make another one that's like a like a big interactive dance party thing? Like we want to make like a big 360 degree screen and with something projected on the floor too, and be able to uh -oh. like have an immersive experience where your body is being uh, tracked through like connects or some sort of skeletal tracking system. And then that data is being exported to something called uh, Super Collider, which is a uh, programmable synthesizer. Like literally, like you can like perform it like live by writing code into it. 
And so Jeremy right now is taking the or is working on taking the data from the connects. Adam uh, is working on getting the data from the connects and getting that to this format called OSC, which is used. It's kind of like MIDI in a way, or it's used for uh, taking signals that could be used for triggering like electrical or uh, musical stuff. Again, I've got don't have the right terminology for it, but uh, from so basically going from uh, movements of the human body or different things that we're tracking with sensors. Uh, I've been interested in tracking like a uh, breath rate and we've thought about like, do you have an oxygen sensor for that? Or do you have to do like an elastic band that goes around your chest that can sense when you breathe in and out? Uh, my buddy was uh, working on like a brainwave monitor and like he's got this heart rate monitor and a couple other things and some different accelerometers uh, connected to the body that he's interested in like trying to get different data from. And so our goal would be to take all this input from the body like in movement and like heart rate and all these different things and then map that onto the parameters for the music. So almost like you're using like a chaos pad or like some sort of like intense filters uh, wow. over music. Cause I mean, that's one of the considerations is like, you could make it like a modular synthesizer, but pretty quickly, like, unless the people know what they're doing, it'll just turn into this chaos and garbage in terms of the sound or like just noise, which is right. cool. But at the same time, like a lot of people don't have a stomach for it like I do. So I think a lot of people would probably prefer uh, a little bit more like they'd like to affect the music, but not completely destroy the music. And kind of so, guided. Like, yeah, like add, you know, various different like low end filters or whatever it is, or like, you know, beat repeat and things like that. But trying to and being able to do that with like body movements and then being able to do it together. So like things in the music are changing based on our relative position to each other in the room. Also in uh, relation to like uh, static objects in the room. So we might have like different things, different instruments. And as you get closer or farther away from them, like your body would be the effect that's like the degree, like how much of that effect is applied. And then just some of those other factors. So we've come up with some plans for that. And then one of the considerations is like, you know, with projectors, it's hard because if the projector, if the room is curved, you can't put the projector right against the wall to do casting like up or down from the ceiling or the floor. You have to do it from farther away. Then you have shadows because people are standing in front of the wall. And so if you have shadows, it kind of ruins the effect. And so you want, you either have to make the room really big and have people not get that close to the walls so you can project from above, but we don't have that kind of space. So the question would be like, how can you do it in a slightly smaller enclosed space? And we started looking at LED walls, but the ones that, I mean, they use for like filming, you know, Star Wars movies and stuff are like, obviously like several hundred thousand, if not millions of dollars. And so we're like, well, how can we build one for less? So we've looked at all different types of LED arrays with different uh, pixel pitch from 2.5 to four, which would be huge, like almost like a billboard. But then also like, I remember those curved TVs that they had in the past? Yeah. Uh, like yeah. I was looking around, it looks like Samsung. I don't know if it's still made, but at least you can still buy them. And there's like 65 inch curved TV for 700 bucks. So I was thinking I could get 36 of those and position them into these not like four, nine, right? Three by three arrays where you got three TVs tall and three TVs wide. And that would give you a circle, which maybe my calculations are wrong, but it was around 16 to 18 uh, feet for the diameter of the circle. Uh, and so you'd be able to go and have like four or five people dancing this thing. And what's crazy about that is that each of those is a 4K TV. And so the resolution, like you'd have, I don't even know if there's like what kind of computer computing power would be required to be able to have like full resolution on that many 36 4K TVs all playing at once with the same content. But the thing that would be cool about it is that you could get like really, really close to the walls, like, you know, tripper level close to the walls of like looking at what's going on. And like within eight inches, like pixels wouldn't be, uh, if you're farther than eight inches away from the wall, like you wouldn't see pixels if you were oh, running everything at yeah. full resolution. So you'd be like the most intense 
thing like that. But the question is like, if you step even a couple of farther feet farther away from the wall, you could actually probably lower the resolution farther and you wouldn't need quite as many like super, super intense graphics cards. I don't even know how it works to try to like do multi-display or multi-projection like integration. That's, that's what the software from the people in the Netherlands is supposed to help with. So yeah. my next step is to learn about it. But I mean, I'm sure that people are in, in who do like live shows and like productions and like venue stuff are like already really well versed in it. But I found that it was actually like a little bit hard to find information about it when I first started searching. Like there's some academic articles about immersive experience with projectors and like, you know, there's people criticizing like the immersive Van Gogh experience and stuff like that. But like, it's not as much information as I thought. Oh, well then, yeah. Uh, dude, I mean, it's it's going to be fucking pretty wild. Like, any, any way you, you do it. So, we'll come up with something. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, let, let, let's wrap it here, man. Yep. We'll, we're going to come back. I'm going to get you like maybe in, I don't know, probably a couple of weeks or so, maybe a little Let longer. But yeah. Yeah. You I'll, I'll get you. I got, I got a lot more to talk with you about. So, dude, thanks for coming on. Uh, this is Ian. So, yeah fucking uh do do shit um i don't know if you want to plug stuff uh if you want if you don't want to you don't have to you can just be uh you can figure it out if you need to figure it out but we'll, we'll plug this show yeah plug this show man uh while we're on it so uh thank you ian for coming on and uh and that's uh that's the show man